Since we are here, we're on the third sermon in our series on the book of Joshua, which is, which is entitled, we have entitled it, Joshua Inheriting the Promise. So in today's sermon, we'll be recounting Israel's first conquest that will pave their way for her inheriting the promised land. So this is where we find the well-known episode of taking uh, the Canaanite city of Jericho. So everybody knows the story. But today we won't dwell on the details of this story. That will happen in Sermon 5. Today is Sermon 3. Today we'll be looking at the preparation needed before Israel could engage in this monumental, game-changing battle. Okay? So Joshua had already been exhorted by the Lord to be strong and courageous. That's chapter 1. River Jordan had already miraculously parted for Israel to cross. The people had already uh, consecrated themselves through circumcision and had, had observed the Passover. So what remained between Israel and her promised land was Jericho. Say Jericho. Jericho, Jericho yeah. So what is your Jericho? Do you have a Jericho? Is there something that's standing between you and the promises of God? Something between you and what God wants for your life? Is there an area that you are looking to get a breakthrough? I believe 2023 can be your breakthrough year. Amen? where your loved ones that you've been praying for can find salvation, can be saved. When restoration of broken relationships can be mended, can, be, can happen. Right? Where healing that we have been long waiting for, we, we see that and we see resources that are much needed released in our lives. That's what I think this year could be. But whatever your Jericho may be, as the people of God, we too must be prepared as Joshua did to do what? To follow God's plan, which is our sermon today from Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to 6, verse 21. Follow God's plan because, and this is the big idea, the battle belongs to the Lord. Follow God's plan because the battle belongs to the Lord. How many of you like to follow instructions? Yeah? Yeah, some of you. How many of you like to follow the instructions to assemble IKEA furniture? Huh? How many of you are so good that you, you, know, you, you don't even have to look at the instructions? So if you do that, if you don't look at the instructions, right, what happens is your 15-minute project will become one and a half hours. <laughs> because you don't follow. You don't follow the instructions because you think you know better, right? But unless you know where every part fits and where every screw grow, goes into, right? Assembling IKEA furniture is as easy as building a submarine, which is very difficult, right? But we are called what? Grace Assembly, right? So what are we assembling? <laughs> Grace. Anyway, okay, side note, side note. So in the same way, we need to follow instructions, right? To prepare to win your war, you must know a few things. You must know who your captain is. Right, you must follow the instructions. The guy who wrote the instructions, he was not mad, you know, there was a reason. So you need to know your captain. Secondly, you need to know who your enemy is. And finally, you need to know what's at stake. You know. When you're trying to assemble this, what's at stake is this? Your reputation, your pride, or maybe just the IKEA furniture, that's all. But the first thing, let's look at it. Before we can engage in any battle, we need to know our captain. So let's read Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? 
And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and I have come to lead the charge. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Verse 15, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So who is this person with a drawn sword standing before Joshua? Most commentators will say that this is a theophany, which is God appearing in a human form. Or more precisely, a Christophany, which is Christ before he was incarnated. So is, the pre, is Christ pre-incarnated? So whether it was a theophany or a Christophany, what we are absolutely certain is that this commander of the army of the uh, Lord is, was not human. Was not human. Why do I, why do I say that? You see, first, he accepted Joshua's prostration in worship. You know, angels are not allowed to do that. Right? They cannot do that, and they would not do that. You know? But this, captain accepted the worship. Secondly, he repeated almost word for word the command of Yahweh to Moses at the burning bush. He said, same thing, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which or where you are standing is holy. So where this captain was, was sacred space, it was holy ground. Okay, so why was this commander here? So we know he's not human. He was Christ pre-incarnate. What was he here for? Was it for just some, uh, was it a casual call? No, it, he was here because there was a battle, not of just human construct. It was a battle of cosmic proportions. It was a big battle. So we said this was not a casual courtesy call. Why? Because the stranger had already drawn the sword in his hand. He was ready to engage in battle. But whose battle and whose side was he on? So these two things, there were two things that, that Joshua needed to encounter before he gone, uh, went into battle. The first one was to ask, right? And, and it, was a, it was not a surprising question because he saw the, the sword drawn, right? So he came to him and asked this question. But what is surprising is the answer that this stranger gave. So what, what was Joshua's question? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you, no, it's, can I say binary? <laughs> Are you for us or for adversaries, right? It's either or. But notice what, what the answer was. He said, neither, no. I'm not for you, nor for your adversaries. I'm here for the, I'm here for the Lord. Which was a very strange answer, isn't it? So true, Israel was the one who had to fight, right? The, the, these inhabitants, they had to take the promised land. But ultimately, this was not Israel's battle. It was Yahweh's battle. It was Yahweh's battle. It was a battle of cosmic proportions because Yahweh, uh, between Yahweh and the rebellious members of his divine council who always wanted to derail Yahweh's Edenic vision. That vision where the human and the uh, divine families would, uh, would dwell together and will rule together. So the commander was here to do what? To uphold God's honor, God's name, and God's power. He was not on Israel's side, nor was he on the side of Israel's adversaries. He was on Yahweh's side, fighting in his name and for his glory. So church, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you know the captain of your soul? Do you, have you had an encounter with this captain like Joshua had? Do you, do you know who this captain is? You know, God fights our battle only when we're fighting his battles. 
And what are his battles? To lose people who are caught captive under Satan's control. That's what he wants to do. He wants to set them free so that they may be safe to enter his kingdom. But many of us are fighting our own battles, right? And we are expecting God's help to rescue and deliver and defend us in our battles. Maybe today we need to take a step back and ask this question. Are we really fighting his battles and expecting his help? Or that we are wanting his help to fight our own battles? How many of you play badminton? Eh? Okay, some of you, right? Do you know in our staff, there are two very, very good badminton players. I'll just mention one. Eh? I'll just mention Pastor Peter. Do you know Pastor Peter? Right? Do you know Pastor Peter? On his off day, he will trash me in badminton. And what is even more painful, uh, he plays on his off days, you know. <laughs> no, is it, is it because he is more prayerful? Is it because, you know, God loves him more? That, that he treasures me? Is it because of that? Uh, maybe, all the above. But simply say, saying, essentially, he's better than I am. That's why he beats me all the time, right? Will praying make a difference? Is, is that the battle that God wants to fight for you? Actually, with this knowledge that he's better than I am, what, what do I do with this knowledge? I don't play against him. I play alongside him, right? I make sure that he's my doubles partner, correct? That's what you do, right? And then when I win, actually it's not me, it's him. He doesn't win because of me, he wins because of him. But I win because of him, you know. You get it? So when... Who do you need? Who, whose side are you on, you know, in this case? Wow. You must be on the Lord's side, yeah. the winning side. Yeah. Don't play against Him. Play in His team. You must be clear whose side you're on. The commander of the Lord's army is for the Lord and His agenda. If you are for the Lord, He will be with you. So, don't ask whether He aligns to your agenda. Ask that you align to His. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask again. Where is the captain of, your, of, of the Lord's army in your situation? Where is he? You must look for him. You must call out to him. You must seek him. You must wait on him. You must look to him and you must go to him. Because Paul says in Romans, right? Chapter 8, verse 31b. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? So first thing you need to know, you need to know your captain. First principle is this. God's war is fought, how? Must be fought God's way. Right? Not our way, but God's way. So know your captain. Know where is he? Locate him in your situation. Second, know your enemy. We must know our enemy. So to be wise in battle, we must not only just know who our captain is, but we must know who our enemy is. You see, if we, if we do not know, then we either overestimate his impact by being what, overly anxious, right? Or worse, by underestimating his ability to cause damage and trouble. By what? By being what, overly negligent or overconfident. So we cannot have that. We need to know exactly who this enemy is. So Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, A says this, and, the, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And if this is the first time hearing this, that Joshua was the son of Nun, you'll be, you'll be asking, if his father was Nun and his mom was a Nun, then nothing could have happened from there, right? Nothing good would have happened from there. But actually, Nun is the name of his father, so Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially what? Especially Jericho. 
So why why did Joshua especially mention Jericho? What did Jericho represent? Okay, first thing. To Israel, Jericho was a familiar foe. It was a familiar foe. 40 years ago, one generation before had a very bad experience here that destroyed their faith, that strained their relationship with Yahweh. It was at that time that Moses instructed 12 leaders, one from each of the tribes of Israel, to scout the promised land. So the majority, except Caleb and Joshua, came back with a negative report, saying that the people there were too strong, cities too heavily fortified, and very, very large. It would be beyond Israel's ability to take the land promised to them. You can read that in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. And Yahweh was so angry with their unbelief, because of their unbelief, that in spite of all the signs that he had done among them, they still did not believe his word. So he declared that all the adults of that generation would die in the wilderness, never entering their promised land. So this was what happened 40 years ago. But hearing this judgment, you know what, what did some of them uh, do? It, in mock repentance, uh, they decided, oh, let's go out. Let's, let's go and attack these Canaanites now. Not too late. But they went without God's permission. So what happened? They were soundly trounced by these Canaanites. And so this misstep, this error, must have been something that, that, that shook Israel up terribly. So it's no wonder Yahweh had to numerous times exhort Joshua, be strong and take courage. Because you come back to this 40 years, you come back full circle to this exact point. And it would not be surprising for Joshua, who was among the original 12 spy guys, right? To have this feeling, uh, a horrible sense of deja vu. We are back here 40 years again, you know, and it's the same people. But you see, Jericho had to be fought, uh, had to be conquered. Because strategically, Jericho stood at the gateway of them entering their promised land. So if Israel failed now to conquer Jericho, you know, she would never come into her inheritance. Her journey would have stopped right there. The 40 years in the wilderness would have just gone to waste. For them, it was now make or break. It was now or never. Jericho had to face her, no, sorry, Israel had to face her fears. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that God has very, very good memory on you. He puts us through a test, right? And then if we avoid it, if we feel it, what happens? You want to escape it, right? So this test, ah, yeah, I don't want this test. So you change, you change something, right? Maybe this test happened uh, in ministry. Oh, I want to change ministry. Maybe it happened in the church. I want to change church, you know? It happened in school. I want to change school. It happened in your family. Change family. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, God has such a brilliant memory, eh? that he knows exactly the tests we have failed uh, and he will bring it again to our attention sooner or later. 40 years had passed, right? but they failed this test. They had to attempt this test one more time. So Jericho was their enemy. It was a familiar enemy. But at this time, something was different. Jericho was not just a familiar foe. To Yahweh, Jericho was a very frightened foe. Let me tell you why. On the outside, they looked the same. 
but on the inside, something changed. Joshua 5, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, listen, their hearts melted in. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And so behind the facade of these walls, right, Jericho was a trembling mess, you know. And, and so this actually worked out for Israel's favor because had their warriors engaged uh, Israel in the open field, they might have had an upper hand, you know. But because they were so scared, they just wanted to fortify this. Oh, these guys, Israel will never be able to penetrate these walls, right? So all they did was just to wait anxiously for Israel to attack. Now this reminds me of uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the what? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Pastor Wilson preached about this, huh? in, 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 I think in the first week. The gates of hell is never for attack. It's always a defensive, a defense mechanism. So gates, because they are not for attack, and for defense, it created a false sense of security for them. You know. But their defense was not a deterrent to Yahweh at all. In reality, they were just sitting ducks, you know, not prowling lions. They had lost their edge. Okay, so similarly, Satan has a plan to stop us also from ever entering and reaching our full potential and full freedom that we have in Christ. And he doesn't want us to come into our inheritance. He roars like a lion, hungry for prey, trying to stop us in our tracks. He's not satisfied with a small, a little downturn. He's going full on to cause our downfall. How many of you have ever heard of this Chinese parable of the fox and the tiger? Chinese parable, right? Fox and tiger. So one day in the jungle, Mr. Fox stumbled upon a very, very hungry Mr. Tiger. And being the fox that he was, he was quick you know, to devise a plan of escape. And so he, he said, Sir Tiger! I'm sure you think everybody is afraid of you, right? That you're, everybody is in fear of you. But I want to tell you that you're not the only one. I too am, am fearsome. I too, the people huh, are afraid of me. And I can prove it. So a bit uh, bemused, the tiger said, Oh, you can prove it? Okay, show me. So the tiger postponed his lunch. And they walked together, you know, with the fox walking in front. So, but everywhere they went... When the animals in the jungle caught sight of them, wow, they bolted, you know. They got so frightened. And then, oh, this foolish tiger was pretty impressed. He said, wow, really, you know, you're quite powerful. And so the fox turned to the tiger. He said, aren't you afraid of me too? And he howled and showed his teeth. You know. And with that, the tiger turned tail and fled. Have you ever heard this story? Right? You have, right? So what's the, what's the story about? The fox deceived the tiger, right? There was no power in the fox. He was just a deceiver. In the same way, we face a power, the enemy of our soul, but he's a deceiver. You know? He has no lasting power. That authority has been taken away from him. So no matter how loud, how imposing, how cunning our enemy appears to, me, to be, he is a liar. We can, like Joshua, be strong and courageous to take out Jericho's because our enemy is no match for the Almighty God. Who can say amen? Amen. No matter how strong he looks, he's empty on the inside. So Paul says it this way. 
in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, you, therefore that you may be able to withstand an evil day, having done all, to stand firm. So we can stand courageously and stand firm in the face of our enemy because he is a defeated enemy. Principle two, if it is God's foe, it is God's fight. You know, he will fight for us. Amen? To prepare for your war, you prepare for your battle, you must know your captain. You must know who your enemy is. Third, to secure that win in our battles, we must know what's at stake. You know. What is at stake? Chapter 6, verse 17, 21. Verse 17 says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. No, in other words, devoted to destruction. Verse 21. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Yahweh commanded Israel to devote to total destruction the people, the animals, and the precious metals in the city of Jericho. So I'm going to introduce you, to you a concept. And this is this word. And it's pronounced this way. Haram. Okay, try that. Sorry. Okay. From now on, I will just say karam because I, otherwise this mic can never be rescued after this. <laughs> so what, what does karam mean? What, what does karam mean? It means this, it's the extermination as a way of absolute consecration to Yahweh. Total destruction. Now at first this may seem at odds with the picture that we have of God our Father, right? Who is loving, who is gracious, who is merciful, who is all forgiving. So why so drastic, why so excessive a measure of karam, you know, Why? Okay, first uh, we must understand that this picture of God that we have as only loving and merciful is a truncated representation of the biblical God. The God of the Bible is also holy and just. He will not let the guilty go unpunished. So at the end of the day, those who willfully and continually uh, rebel and resist His rule and who persecute and oppress His righteous ones will certainly face judgment and destruction. The reason why we don't see this today happening yet is because we are in the grace period. What's the grace period? It's when you drive, you go into a parking bay, right? And if you exit in 15 minutes, you don't have to pay. It's called the grace period. And if you park here in grace assembly, you don't have to pay because you're under grace, okay? <laughs> but for the inhabitants of Jericho... <laughs> The happiness of Jericho, you know, the, the, the grace period uh, was swiftly coming to end, to a dead end. So in the Old Testament, karem, this thing, was meted out to those who were hindering Israel from inheriting their promised land. See, if you imagine, uh, sorry, not imagine, if you remember in our sermon series on Exodus, uh, how we pointed out that Israel was to be Yahweh's new family. Right, remember that? And to distinguish her from the rest of the nations, Yahweh's presence will be there, presiding and residing with them in the tabernacle. 
Now, this was to be their Eden 2.0. This was to be the place where the divine and the human families once again reconstituted. So, the promised land of milk and honey is really actually a realization of the Edenic vision that Yahweh had in mind from the beginning. But there were those who opposed him from the beginning. And who were these? Okay, let's look at this. In Genesis 3, if you remember, uh, the Nakash or the serpent. Now, this is their origin. Eh? And then Genesis 6, the sons of God. And it was the supernatural sons of God who mated with the humans and produced a hybrid race of giants called the Nephilim, also known as the Anakim, the Raphaim, and the Zamzumin. <laughs> Sounds funny, right? But it's true. Their goal was to create their own competing images, right? Setting up a counterfeit Eden to frustrate Yahweh's plan. Now, if you need more details, go back to our um, sermon series on supernatural, on supernatural realm. Eh? So, so that was where Genesis 3, Genesis 6. Where do we next encounter them in Scripture? It was in Numbers chapter 13, when Moses sent out the 12 spies. Eh? Okay, so let's read. So they, meaning the 12 spies, brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied on, uh, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Verse 33, and there we saw the Nephilim. Right, Genesis 6, the Nephilim. The sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And so they were facing giants. And these giants from the Nephilim bloodlines were the cause of Israel's fear and failure to take the land 40 years ago. And that failure resulted them in them traveling 40 years in the wilderness. These were not just Israel's enemies, these were Yahweh's enemies. And their real target was Yahweh. Israel was just caught in the crossfire. So these giants were bent on hurting God's agenda to build, to establish the Edenic vision. And the way they, they hurt God's agenda was by hurting God's people. So that was the origin. And so because of that, Yahweh planned for their, what? their obliteration, their annihilation. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. He said, when the Lord your God brings you, here's when Moses forewarning them, see? when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away the many nations before you, and then he names them, the Hittites, the Gilgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the, he uh, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must cram them. You must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. So why the need to obliterate these nations? It tells us later that this was to eliminate any rival gods. This was not a petty issue, rival gods. It was uh, the rebellion of the highest order. You know? And so when you read Deuteronomy again, chapter 7, verse 4, for they, these seven nations, right? They would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and it will, he will destroy you quickly. And so if these giants remain, right? These giants will cause Israel to go away from worshipping God, Yahweh, to worshipping idols. That's the first thing. Second thing, second reason why they must be obliterated eh, was to cleanse the land from its evil and corrupting practices. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 26. 
And you should not bring an uh, abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. Kerem again. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is Kerem, devoted to destruction. You, you will hear in the next sermon, right, that Yahweh was just here. Yeah. That in the next sermon, you will hear that an Israelite and his family instead of obeying God in this, took some things into his possession and he was dealt with, he was placed under karem. So was God merciless? Was God unjust in pronouncing this kind of judgment? But you will hear the good news that one of those inhabitants and her family, because they displayed believing loyalty in God, they were spared from this annihilation. But that will happen in the next sermon. So what is at stake for us in these battles? It's God's glory, it's God's name, it's God's honour, it's God's will, and it's, God, it's, it's God's vision. What about us? What's at stake for us? It's our believing loyalty, it is our inheritance, it is our imaging of God. We are the images of God. So Israel, by conquering Canaan, would be God's images and representatives through which the dis inherited nations, those of Genesis 11, could witness for themselves abundant life under the reign and rule of Yahweh's power and love. And like Israel, today we are called to be examples of what salt and light so that others around us who are watching us can see what it is like to live under a good and loving God, a life that's abundant. And so what do we need to do? We need to ruthlessly, you know, intentionally, and fearlessly eliminate things that contaminate our faith and our walk with the Lord. Things that cause us to sin, to disobey, to lose focus, and hinder us from becoming God's images. It could be our poor attitude, it could be our uncontrolled emotions, it could be destructive habits and traits, it could be our negative thoughts, our rebellious streak, or our, our obsessive behavior. In these things, my word to you is don't play, play. You know? Don't play, play. Because these are the things that hold us back from our inheritance. But often, like you, I ask God, you know, I demand an explanation and understanding why from God before I want to obey Him fully. Isn't that God, why? Why must I do this? Why you cannot allow this? Why don't you allow this? And why should I obey you? But to fully trust God, I mean, first of all, he doesn't owe us an explanation. Uh, God doesn't, you know. But to fully trust God, to obey Him, we must trust in Him alone, you know. And to absolutely trust in Him, we must submit to who He is and to His Lordship in every area of our lives. That's called be lo be believing loyalty. You know. God knows best. And He knows what is best for us. So principle three, submit to God's Word, trust in God's work on our behalf. Right, today, what is, what is our application and response then? To face your battles well, you need to know who your captain is. Then you need to know who the enemy is. And finally, you need to consider what's truly at stake. The question that, that Joshua asked the commander was a good one, was a relevant one, was a crucial one. He asked him, are you for us or for our ad adversaries? It was a good question, but it was asked, it was directed in the wrong way. This should be a question that God asked us today. You know? 
Are you for, for me or are you against me? And I think we have to answer this. To prepare for our, for our battles, we need to understand that God is our commander. We need to be on His side. We need to be doing what He wants us to do. We need to follow His instructions. It is God's war, it is God's fight, and because it is God's, it is only won by following God's way, God's will, and God's work. Amen? So we need to trust and obey our God, our leader, our captain, no matter what. Okay, in closing, in closing four uh, lessons for us to learn today. Although our battles are no longer uh, military in nature, we still face spiritual opposition. While we are here on earth, we can expect conflict with the, with, the, with the kingdoms of darkness and of this world. Those who want us to lose our inheritance, you know. And those who want us uh, not to be His images, you know. That's the first lesson. But secondly, whatever giants we face, whether within or external, whether visible or unseen, we can rely on the same God of Joshua to deliver us, to help us overcome any intimidation and threat. You see, after all, these enemies, these giants are already defeated by Christ Jesus. Amen? The captain of the Lord's army. Third, in this grace period, Christ has shown us our weapon of warfare. What is our weapon of warfare? He told us what to do with your enemies. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. And he demonstrated the extent of his love by dying on the cross for his enemies. Also known as us, we were his enemies. And at the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. And in this grace period, that's how we see people, we see how, we, that's how we see our victories won. Not by, by not following what your enemies do, but by operating in the opposite spirit, the spirit of love. Fourth, what do we learn? What's at stake is this kingdom is what's at stake is kingdom advancement. You know? Not just my own advancement, but the kingdom's advancement. Every victory, and each victory does this. Whenever someone turns to Jesus, whenever someone is set free by the power of the gospel, when someone receives God, uh, God's saving grace by faith, whenever that happens, it's a step closer to fulfilling God's Edenic vision. And it's a step closer for us in our role as his images. Okay? Amen? So what do we do now? Having four lessons, what do we do? The question I want to ask you is, do you have a Jericho in front of you? Is there something that's impeding your pathway to know God, to Christ-likeness? Is there something that's stopping you from entering what God wants you to have you know, in Him? Is there something that's standing in your way? And do you feel that it is impossible for you to ever overcome. But the Bible says, if God is for you, no one and nothing can be against you. Our enemy may look strong, but we know he's, he's defeated. He's a defeated enemy. He's a lion that's prowling around with no teeth. So, Christians, I want to ask you this question. Let's, let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. 
as we take this time to just come before the Lord and process what we've just heard, do we know who our captain is? Do you know who is the commander of the army of the Lord? Where is he? Where is he in your situation? I don't know today if you're weary from fighting your battles your way. Today, I exhort you to surrender to God and let Him fight your battles His way. Where is God in your situation? Where is the captain of the Lord's army? Call out to Him. Seek His face. Wait on Him. Look to Him. Go. Go to Him. Go to where He is. Who is your real enemy today? Let's think about that. Who is your real enemy? Is it your work environment? Is it your colleagues? Is it your parents, your children, your spouse? I think we need to see further through the real instigator, to the real enemy, who's not just our enemy, but he's the enemy of God. And he's trying to oppose us. He's trying to stop us becoming all that we need to be in Christ Jesus. So no one looking and you, if you're saying, God, I really need your help. I really need the captain to come through for me. If that's you, I just want you to quickly put up your hand to the Lord. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you. Just lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I'm fighting the battle the wrong way. I'm asking the wrong questions. I want you to fight. I want to fight the way that you fight, oh Lord. I want you to help me, God. I want you to be the captain to instruct me. You can put your hand down. The second group I want to ask today for a response is, are you struggling? Are you struggling with following God's plan for your life? You know the plan of God. You know the Word of God. You know what He's asked you to do. But you struggle. You're hesitant. Perhaps you fear the repercussions of obeying God plainly at His Word. But let me ask you the question, what do you stand to lose? What do you stand to lose if you don't obey Him? What's really at stake? Is it your testimony? Is it your effectiveness? Is it your growth in discipleship? Is it your success? Or is it God's name? Is it God's kingdom? Is it God's glory? You see, every battle is important, whether big or small. Every battle matters but we need to trust and obey our captain. We need to do what he asks us to do, no matter what, because only he knows what's truly at stake and what is best for us. And today, I want to ask you this question. If you're struggling to follow God's plan for your life, if you, if you say, God, I really need to be strong, I really need the courage to do so, I really want to stand by faith, I want to stand on your side, if you, that person, you want to just lift your hand quickly up to the Lord and say, God, I'm struggling, I'm struggling with obeying you, I want to obey you with strength and courage, if that's you, just put your hand up to the Lord, let Him know, let Him know that you're struggling, let Him know that you're hesitating, let Him know that you need His strength in your life, if that's you, just leave it up to the Lord. I see one, yeah, I see some hands, but just between you and God, say, God, you see my hand. I want to follow you 
fully. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. So can we all stand before the worship team leads us in the song? I want to make. I want you to make a stand for the Lord today. You know, He fights your battle when you're on His side, right? And so we're going to open the altars this evening for you to just do that. You know, to take that step of faith and say, God, I want to be on Your side. I want to be on the side of the captain. I want to take that stand with You. And so as the worship team leads us, just step forward and say, God, here I am. Let go.